This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Some truck drivers are pushing for a new bill to pass through legislation. We'll tell you about that. David Finkelstein, our in-house car expert, will be along to talk about car batteries. It may sound like a really narrow topic, but I've got so many different angles on this thing. In other words, you know, if if you're doing a show on home maintenance and you were talking about two-by-fours, People would be turning the radio off. It's like, you know, how much time can you spend on a two-by-four in conversation? But <laughs> there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. So we're going to expand on it in a little bit here, and I'm going to try to keep it entertaining as best as I can, and I think I will. All right, all right. Hang in there, David. We'll be with you in a moment. Uh, a girl, her dog, and a canoe from Missouri all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. We'll hear her story. And Missouri has released its annual performance report, which lays out K-12 through public school performance. The report shows the subject scores of English and math, along with attendance, readiness for kindergarten, high school, and the graduation rate. Elisa Nelson talks to Doug Heider, executive director of the Missouri Association of School Administrators, about the report. I think there's been a lot of good work uh, by educators and by many people at the department uh, to put together a, a comprehensive school improvement plan and program. So the foundation uh, there, I think, is strong and solid because every educator and every person say wants quality schools. We want to know how we can improve and get better. And I think the, the overall process itself uh, is good to have in place. In regard to the, the data, they've made it clear, being the department, that this is baseline data. So the natural inclination for many of us will be to try to make comparisons to the MSIP 5 or back to 2018-2019. And I think we need to do that with caution, if at all, because this is a baseline for moving forward. Now we can make that comparison. So those would be a couple things I would start out with that I think are important for anyone looking at the data. The State Education Commissioner Margie Van Dieven talked to reporters uh, to talk about the rollout of the annual performance report. And she did say that the report shows the COVID-19 pandemic continues to disrupt learning, essentially. And she talked about how, you know, there there's a lot of stress going on. And, and so I'd like if you could, uh, Doug, could you talk about that a little bit and, and how the pandemic has continued uh if, if that's what you're hearing if the pandemic continues to stress the educational system there isn't any question that, that the pandemic stressed the educational system you know sometimes i think we forget that schools do not function in isolation and if you think about those years with COVID-19, every aspect of our society was impacted, and schools are no different. So we're, we're still seeing some of that residual effect, I think, even today, and schools will be the first to tell you that, and not only on the academic side, but on, on the mental health side for both student staff and others. So I think that's important to keep in mind, and most educators will tell you it's really no surprise because of that interruption. We've seen some declines and some deficits that school districts are now working to get back in place. And I think that emphasizes what we all know, that having a student in front of a highly effective teacher day in and day out is one of the most important things we can do. And and virtual education has its place, certainly. But I think the pandemic showed us that not having those children in a classroom with a highly effective teacher each and every day did result in some declines that districts are now working hard uh, to bring them back where they need to be. 
earlier on, maybe uh, 2021 or so, the state had roughly 80 or percent or so students in seats. That other 20 percent or whatever, largely in urban districts. Exactly. And if you look at, you know, size of districts across Missouri, uh, this is data from the department. 68% of our districts are 1,000 students or less. So when you get into the urban areas, uh, you can have a smaller percentage of districts, but a high proportion of students. And the other part, I think, even for our rural districts, many of which uh, were in school most of that time, just the interruption in everyday life that these students experienced can certainly have an impact on learning, uh, even if they're still mostly in school. So. I don't think any of us escaped unscathed, you know, in regard to the pandemic and just total change in the way we lived our lives there for a couple of years. Doug, what about uh, some bright spots of the report? Uh, any come to mind? Yeah, I think uh, in having an organized continuous improvement plan in place, the districts can use to get better each and every day is a very positive thing. Uh, there's some continuous improvement aspects of this uh, in regard to student testing, I think also are positive. Uh, we're looking at some, hopefully, some competency-based methodology that we can use moving forward as a part of this process, which I think would be great. You know, the MAP test is a, is a one snapshot once a year that you look back, and most of our districts are doing formative assessments throughout the year where they can just watch a student progress uh, in a more day-to-day -day manner. So I think if we can get to those kinds of things, uh, that would be a, a positive as well. Missouri has released its 21-22 annual performance report, which lays, which lays out overall K-12 public school performance. The report shows the COVID-19 pandemic continues to disrupt learning. Doug Heider, the executive director of the Missouri Association of School Administrators, joined Show Me today to talk about the data. I'm Elisa Nelson. The competency-based learning is fascinating. Do you know when, like, a, a rollout for that is expected? Uh, we have a group called the Success Ready Student Network that has some pilot schools that are working on that, kind of in conjunction uh, with the department, collaboration. And I have not seen an actual uh, timeline, although some of the districts are currently in that work right now. So we're hopeful that is sooner rather than later. I think it really helps us take a child and, and move them along the continuum much better than the snapshot test, more the standardized testing that we do once a year. So the report, uh, this annual performance report, was compiled using a new grading structure of the Missouri School Improvement Program, MSIP, the K-12 accountability system, like you had mentioned. And uh, the commissioner says the new version, MSIP 6, is more rigorous than the previous one, uh, MSIP 5. Is this kind of uh, what you have noticed as well? Is Are you able to tell that, uh, Doug? Yes. You know, if you look at the MSIP 6 policy goals that uh, the commissioner and the department have outlined, you know, one of them is to distinguish performance of schools and districts. So it, it was clear coming into this, this new phase that that was one of the main objectives. And one of the questions that we've received in the past was, you know, a large number of districts were accredited and accredited with distinction. So we're seeing one of those objectives realized when they are trying to differentiate uh, and make sure that there's a little bit uh, more of that in this cycle of MSIP. So, yes, that is very apparent in the results that I've seen. 
Now, I think the commissioner made a comment about how uh, we've had years of hold harmless. So um, is that maybe a part of this is that we've used hold harmless for several years and now now we're seeing such a shift because of that? That could certainly be part of it. You know, if you look at the timeline for the standards and testing and then throw COVID in, uh, we've changed and amended several times uh, since like 2014, 2015, up through today. You know, are the rubrics fair? Are they realistic? And is that truly where we are? And again, I think two or three years, hopefully we can tell and see if that's the case or not. Doug Heider, the executive director of the Missouri Association of School Administrators. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, let's hear from Amanda Hayness. 
She grabbed her dog, hopped in a canoe, went down the Missouri River to the Mississippi, and then all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And she's got a new book called Digging Deeper. Cameron Connor is with Amanda. You know, Bill, you have a dog named Dottie. I have a dog named Mac. I could never imagine going on a journey like this in a canoe with just my dog. And <laughs> maybe to my defense, I, I got a wiener dog, so I don't think he lasts more than five minutes. So I probably would maybe last six. Amanda, there are days where, you know, where I wake up and I'm motivated and I'm getting to the gym early and stuff like that. I don't think I've ever woke up and said, you know, I'm going to go on a 3,300 journey across the middle of the United States. <laughs> so what, what, <laughs> what, what exactly was the process for you to start this canoeing journey? What was I thinking? Um, <laughs> well, I was living in Wisconsin, working for Kohl's department stores in their IT department. They went through mass layoffs when COVID hit. Um, I was part of those. And, you know, everybody else kind of jumped really quickly into other positions. And there was something kind of holding me back from that. And I ended up selling the house, bought an RV trailer, and went on the road. So I actually traveled, I think, more than 17,000 miles in the month before the river trip, just seeing our country. And then all along that time, I kind of uh, was pondering, can I make it from the headwaters of the Missouri River the Gulf of Mexico. I'm a big fan of Mark Twain, Lewis and Clark. So the, the seed of adventure was planted early and I knew I would never get another opportunity where circumstances might line up that I could take that much time to do such an epic adventure. So kind of a victim of circumstance, took a leap of faith and, and that put me out there. Yeah. And what a fantastic idea. And especially so spur of the moment. For the canoeing part itself, did, did you have a previous history of canoeing or was it something that, because I'm assuming to make a journey like that, you have to be quite skilled at it. So how long have you had you been canoeing? Um, my whole life on short trips. We, I grew up here in Missouri, Southwest Missouri in particular, uh, and we just are, we spent a lot of time camping and canoeing on the rivers. Uh, so a little bit, but you would be surprised, I think. A lot of the more avid paddlers or frequent paddlers, uh, some that have done this, say you you kind of do get stronger and learn as you go too. Out there, it's not as uh, not as fast and furious as some other adventures might be. You're listening to Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Amanda Hainis. We are discussing her book, Digging Deeper, in which she took a journey, a 3,300-mile journey across the Missouri River and parts of the Mississippi to get to the Gulf of Mexico. And this is outlining that entire trip with her friendly furry companion. Not only did you do this trip by yourself, you decided to bring your companion with you, your dog named Hank. Tell, tell me about Hank. What's, uh, what's the personality like? How much of a great road buddy was he? Or I guess in this case, water buddy. <laughs> what, what, what about that? Yeah, he's both. He will ride and just about anything. It was, I adopted him just six weeks before I launched on the river trip from a shelter in Washington State. So I really took a chance there that I would get a personality that would work on the river. And I had some weird questions that I asked the lady at the shelter before I made the decision and met him. But I got him and it wasn't days before we kind of clicked. And he's just a sweet little personality. He, he was a good decision. Sounds like a great decision, and especially a great decision for him. I mean, talk about taking a chance, mm -hmm. on, especially with 
a potential situation like that for you to do an unbelievable thing and adopt him. And all of a sudden, six weeks in, <laughs> you're taking him on the journey of a lifetime. That must have been a, an interesting yeah. perspective from his point of view. Oh, absolutely. He lived his best life out there, though. <laughs> yeah. Preluding to the book that you have written about this experience, Digging Deeper. But are there some little, some maybe some little hints so that we don't give it away, some ups and downs during the journey that you'd want to highlight to maybe tease people and reel them in? Yeah, yes. It's definitely a joke that enough went wrong to make it a good story. Uh, but it's getting a lot of great feedback. I just tried to share authentically along the whole way. And I made a lot of mistakes and I did a lot of things right. So I tried to really share those. I did lose the canoe once. So there's a teaser floating down the Mississippi River. Everything that I had for survival <laughs> in the canoe. Yeah, it, the book is really covering the, it's, it's covering the theme of my life where I just feel like I have had to dig so much deeper than I thought was ever possible in, in a lot of different circumstances. So the book does include stories of my childhood and my time in the Marine Corps um, or things like that kind of parallel. I'm sure there are so many different life lessons that you, you take into account and really absorb over time as you're going on this. So you, you complete this journey in the January of 2022. That, that's when it's completely finished. What, what was the thought process of, you know what? Not only did I just go on this amazing journey that I can tell people, but I'm going to make sure that I can share it with the world if they want by writing this book. How, how did you decide that this was the next part of the journey, I guess, if you want to really consider it that way, to write about it? Yes, it was an adventure in and of itself. And God put enough people into my path that would not take no for an answer. I'm generally a private person. I have not, I'm not a big sharer of my story. And so in the year following that, um, like I said, these people just kept encouraging me, telling me that this story needed to be shared. And honestly, writing the book was the second hardest thing that I've ever done. It is no easy task to sit down and stay in writing, uh, but it took me about 10 months. I kept a journal along the way, so that helped a lot with the details and the story, but it felt really good to get it done. And like I said, it's scary, but the feedback that I've gotten that I get to inspire other people to kind of chase their own adventures is, has been worth it. How about for people who are interested in purchasing your book, where are they able to get it at? It's on Amazon. There are ebook, paperback, and hardback versions. The title is, as you said, Digging Deeper. The subtitle is USMC Veteran, Solo Paddles, the Missouri and the Mississippi Rivers. Um, and I do, if for folks that are in Missouri, I feel free to on Facebook. And I am traveling the state right now doing book signings and speaking engagements. One of the number one questions I'm assuming you get, I guess you have completed this journey. You've written the story about it. I'm assuming one of the number one questions you get is, will you ever do it again? Or is there a part two to this, whether you write about it or not? But as far as the journey goes, is there a part two? Is there another trip that you are enticed to go upon, especially from your learning experiences you got from the first one? Yes, I do get that question a lot. Um, or what's your next adventure? And there, I don't want to commit to anything, any one thing, but I, I do have a bucket list that after the last two years is significantly longer than it started. So the more that I learn, the more that I never want to stop chasing my own adventures. That's what keeps me engaged and, and, and passionate. Uh, two that are near the top of the list that they were are doing the Mississippi River from start to finish. That, I, you know, I said no. No way. 
right after the trip. I was done with rivers, done with those long journeys. But the more time goes by, the more I think about what I could improve upon, how I could make the experience more fun or, or a better learning experience. And so your bad memories fade and your good memories and your lessons bubble to the top. And so, yeah, I think I will. Well, whenever you decide to do that, we'll be right here with <laughs> with a pen and paper. I'll be wanting to document it when you get done with it. <laughs> so you have been traveling across the country and you've been doing these book signings. How has that experience been in, in general? I'm curious because I'm assuming you've gotten quite the little collection of people who have read this now and have asked you all these questions and things of that or, or of that nature. Has that been a fun experience for you? Surprisingly, yes. And one of the biggest reasons is I continue to get to meet so many new people and talk and hear their stories. And I think my message to to everyone is that adventure isn't just the things that we do. It's really a an attitude, a frame of mind, whether we're out there meeting new people, reading a new book, tackling something that we're afraid of every day. We get so much more out of it in the lessons that we learn and practicing patience and perseverance, flexibility, resourcefulness, situational awareness, critical thinking, and leadership skills. We get all of that when we do something hard and and work for it. Amanda Haynes, she is the, well, we have been here previewing and explaining her book, Digging Deeper, that describes her 3,300-mile journey across the Missouri River and a little bit of the Mississippi. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today. And if and when you decide to do that Mississippi River, I wish you the best of luck with your journeys. Thank you so much, Cameron. Thank you for having me. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, They stick with me, and believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We return to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and we bring in David Finkelstein, our car expert, uh, who is the new car auto writer for Community News Publishing, based in O'Fallon. And their website is mycnews.com. It's my, the letter C, news.com. You write for their two lifestyle magazines, Our Town and Crossroads. So you're busy. Yes, in fact, I do. And my new car reviews are featured online. At that website, um, Bill, that you just mentioned at mycnews.com. And I'm um, sure you can click on and see what's going on. Uh, this month, we're featuring the uh, 2023 Chevrolet Equinox SUV. So, yeah, check it out. I, I think you'll find it um, enlightening. Yeah. All right. Well, you said you would make talking about car batteries entertaining. And I think I'm probably right along the average of, okay, uh, check and see if there's some corrosion on the connections. Uh, exactly. I, I, and, and David, I have to, I'm telling you, and I, maybe you'll take my man card away. I have to uh, Google. Before, I used to have to reference. Now I just Google uh, because I do it maybe once every five years. It'll come along. Of, uh, okay, what's the proper way to hook up? with The red go where? The black goes where? What do I ground? What I, and I can't even remember how to do jumper cables. So that's my understanding of car batteries. Uh, but we do need to have a better understanding. So I'm actually looking forward to this uh, conversation because there's a lot of different working parts and I think some things you can help us out with. Yeah, it could be a little confusing to say the least. So let's turn back the clock uh, some years um, you know, when automobiles first came on the scene, of course, many years ago, over 100 years ago here in this country, you know, it wasn't uncommon to see uh, six-volt battery systems. And then they started being phased out oh, throughout the early 50s. We started seeing 12-volt uh, car batteries. And um, 
then if we fast forward our thoughts even to uh, the electric vehicles today that are out there, we can talk about that on a future show. We can spend hours talking EVs, but they're up to 800-volt systems. But regardless, it wasn't that many years ago when I was just, you know, in high school, I'm, I'm thinking back, you, you could buy a brand-new car battery if the old one was worn out for $20, $25. It wasn't unusual. Today, um, the, a new car battery could cost you up to $200 and even more. And I'm, again, referring to these 12-volt car batteries, not the ones for the EVs. Those could cost in excess of $20,000. And the batteries that we have in most of our cars and trucks on the road, these 12-volt batteries, they're totally recyclable. And uh, again, the, the new ones for these EVs aren't necessarily, uh, they come under that same heading. They, they can't be recycled for the most part. That technology just isn't there. But, you know, there's some basic maintenance to extend the life of your car battery. You know, people put it uh, in the back of their mind if they bought a battery or if they, they're driving in the car. They don't even think about that until maybe the battery totally fails. But as you suggested a moment ago, Bill, yeah, corrosion is an issue that you see once in a while around the top of the battery where the terminals are. If you can even get to the battery because of packaging issues, a lot of uh, manufacturers, a lot of designers and engineers, they don't have room under the hood any longer for some of these batteries. They're stowed under the back seat. Volkswagen years ago used to have them under one of the front seats. Uh, we see them mounted in the trunks, and some vehicles are even hidden up behind the fenders. So if you can access your battery, yeah, check it periodically. Make sure there isn't corrosion. If there is, address it. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, online videos on how to take care of that. So that's something that needs to be kept in mind. David, let me ask you about uh, if your car just sits for a while. How long does it have to sit before it drains the battery? A perfect example of someone that owns an RV, and they just let it sit sometimes for months. There's what's referred to in the industry as parasitic loads. It's a small drain on the battery, even though the vehicle isn't being used. The computer's on board, even the clock. Uh, all these different devices are pulling a small amount of current out of that battery every single day. Well, after a couple of months, the battery can go completely dead. So it's in your best interest to either go out and start the vehicle periodically, put a little charge in it while it's doing that, because that's what the car's electrical system is designed to do. Or if you don't have that capability, just put it on a small trickle charger. You can buy them at the corner, uh, uh, you know, uh, auto parts stores, the mass merchandise facilities as well. A, a small trickle charger, 20 maybe $30, and it'll extend the life of your vehicle's battery. You talk about that slow drain on the battery. Uh, if I plug in a USB cord and I'm charging my phone, and then I'm going to get out and run errands for a couple of hours, or maybe I get done for the day and I, I leave that thing plugged in, is that going to drain the battery enough to where it won't start? It would take um, an awful lot of um, extra uh, uh, load on the battery. In other words, yeah, if you're charging your, your, your smartphone or some small device like that, it would take uh, hours and hours and hours before you would drain the battery so it would be so low. That's re referred to in the industry as reserve capacity, the RC of a battery. And those numbers are generally posted on the battery. In other words, some of the more powerful batteries, the ones that have a longer shelf life, a longer extended life under the hood, where they'll still start your car after months and months, the higher the RC, the higher the reserve capacity within that battery, 
assures you that if you left your lights on, again, if you're charging something, that your car will still start. If you left the dome light on, for instance, kids will frequently play with the, the overhead map lights in minivans. That happens a lot. Now, yeah. some of the newer cars, the computer will shut those lights down after, oh, maybe an hour or so. It, it's it's just part of the, the software. But in some of the older vehicles, yeah, you'll drain the battery if the lights are left on for so many hours. But um, the fact is, if it's a newer battery, it's got uh, a high or a reserve capacity number, it's not that much of a concern. David Finkelstein is our car expert joining us here on Show Me Today, how to take care of your battery. All right, you uh, you work up the nerve. You say, all right, I'm going out there. I'm going to change my battery. You, you take the old one out. You put the new one in. The car starts. It's fine. Now you got that old battery. You can't just throw that thing in the garbage. How do you get rid of those? No, you can't. And most places that sell uh, automotive batteries, even batteries for snowmobiles and lawn, lawn tractors and motorcycles, They'll take your old battery and and have it recycled. So that's not that much of a concern. Every so often, you might actually see somebody that changes their car battery on the side of the road. And I, we probably have all seen it where there's a, like, what's that battery doing along the interstate? Well, that's probably what occurred. They didn't want to just deal with it. But if someone does retrieve those batteries, again, I want to underscore, they can be recycled. We need to take into consideration battery warranties as well, Bill. What, again, when I was a kid, I worked at my dad's gas station. They actually had batteries back then that had like a lifetime warranty. That doesn't exist anymore. And the battery warranties are completely separate than the car warranty. When you buy a new vehicle today, you've got like a bumper-to-bumper warranty, generally three-year, 36,000 miles in most cases. Powertrain warranty, engine transmission, rust-proof warranty. The tire warranty, then a battery warranty, completely different. People might have the mindset, oh, my car's got a a 10-year engine transmission warranty. Does that include the battery? No, it doesn't. So all that needs to be weighed in if you're going to buy a new battery, if you're going to buy a vehicle, and and consider down the road if you're going to replace the battery. Time and age is one of the biggest detriments to batteries. Uh, after so many years, they just give out. And that's generally generally around three years is the, the lifespan. Three to five, five max, it's time to get rid of it. David, I feel like the auto industry uh, is pulling one over on us. You talk about batteries being at hard, to, they, they don't have enough space, and so they put them under seats and these places where you can't get to yeah. I feel like at one time it was pretty easy to change out a battery. And car dealers said, you know what, we could probably make a lot of money if people had to bring their cars in because they're only lasting <laughs> a few years. And so let's just put it in a spot where they can't get to it. Yeah, Th- that's a concern. And the other thing is there's a second caveat to that thought. Billion, you raise a very interesting point. Uh, many of the newer vehicles today, because of the underhood heat, and if the battery is mounted in the engine bay or engine compartment, the factory puts up what they refer to as a thermal blanket around the battery. So you take the battery out, you, you're going to replace it yourself, for instance, and you see this, I don't know, it's kind of a foam rubber or some sort of material uh, that's wrapped around the battery, and you just toss it aside. Okay, well, that's fine, but guess what? You're now going to... Uh, uh, shorten the life of the replacement battery, that thermal shield is there to protect the battery from that underhood heat that builds up, particularly in the summer months, 
David Finkelstein, our car expert, and you can find his stuff. He's the new car auto writer for Community News Publishing based in O'Fallon. And their website is mycnews.com. And uh, look for his stuff in their two magazines, Our Town and Crossroads. David, great catching up with you. Great stuff. And it was entertaining on Car Batteries. You did a great job. There you go. You do have a good job. Good rest of the day and an enjoyable uh, spring. We'll talk soon. Sure will. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Missouri State Senator Justin Brown wants lawmakers to approve of autonomous platooning, and some truckers agree. Missouri Trucking Association President and CEO Tom Crawford says that's a big 10-4, telling Anthony Morbeth that he wants to build a truck ahead. We've 
had this bill or some former fashion of this bill going back to 2016 in the Missouri legislature and had it gotten through various stages of the process. But it, at all of those times, it was just kind of a, a theoretical, it's out there in the future. And um, I have a couple of members that have contracted with some companies to deliver this technology and they're expecting and, and looking forward to getting delivery on some of this equipment starting as soon as this fall. So it's the future was in the in in the future. Now it's kind of coming up on us. So the idea behind platooning at this iteration of it, and it's taken several iterations through its life cycle that's still developing, is the concept of, of connecting wirelessly. And I'm using those terms kind of broadly. It's not simply Bluetooth, it's not simply RF, you know, code, it's, it's, it's multiple fail-safe kind of measures that are connecting two vehicles so that when they are operating in close proximity to each other, the driver that is operating and steering and, and you know, manually kind of doing all of the stuff that a truck driver does in his daily job, the first piece of equipment, the second piece of equipment is following mimicking doing all of those same things at the appropriate distance and, and pace and everything. Um, the concept is for this model of platooning that the second vehicle would have the driver in the bunk getting his rest, getting her rest and keeping those hours of service rolling so that then after the first driver uses theirs, they're able to switch positions and trucks and continue that movement of two loads versus one load um, in a platooning fashion and both drivers then making a little bit more money even while they're resting. So that's the concept. That's the, the futuristic idea that we're looking at this bill. Missouri has a statute that says, hey, for the motoring public, you just have a kind of reasonable and prudent standard of following distance for commercial motor vehicles, trucks, and, you know, class eight vehicles in this instance, they have a specific statute that says you can't follow closer than 300 feet. And that statute was placed in there in the fifties and sixties and, and hasn't been updated and 300 feet still an appropriate distance for, you know, human reaction and all of those different things that are going on. But in the context of trying to pair up these vehicles um, with technology, that distance you know, they can close that down to 50 or 60 feet and make that operation uh, more efficient, have some fuel savings and things like that. So that's the broad parameters and overview of the bill. And, uh, you know, we had a hearing a couple of weeks ago in the Senate Transportation Committee, and we testified in favor of it, um, had some opposition because, you know, there's some interests out there that are concerned about that. So help some of that situation for at least a portion of the industry. We're talking with Tom Crawford, president and CEO of the Missouri Trucking Association. It's Senate Bill 188, which looks to allow platooning on roadways in Missouri. And uh, just doing a little bit of uh, history looking and searching myself, it looks like, and I have a reason for bringing this up, it looks like uh, neighboring Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois also uh, don't permit this. So my question is... Is it fair to say this is illegal in Missouri, or is it a situation where it's not permitted in Missouri because this new technology is being rolled out and law needs to be updated? I would argue the latter. 
you know, a lot of states that it's, quote, legal in, it's just they don't have a prohibition against it. Most most folks haven't proactively passed legislation to authorize this kind of because it's a developing kind of technology. So um, but it is legal in that kind of parlance in, in about 30 states. Um, and so as this technology is developing and, you know, it's a, a fits and starts kind of deal. I've worked with a couple of companies in the past on this um, legislation that are no longer in business, but uh, somebody picks up the banner and takes the takes the knowledge as it exists at the time and continues to to operate. So the the companies that are involved right now have had some change in structure and organization and size and things like that. But the the foundation and the technology and the the plan to roll out and and move forward is still there. Um, uh, my last discussions with anybody uh, and, and the companies that I represent that are members of our association um, are anticipating still implementing this technology in the near, not di- not so distant future. So th- they've asked us to help help get the laws so that they could they could operate those here on Missouri's highways. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this technology, and my reason in asking is because obviously, like I said before we got on the air, a majority of the male members of my family have had history in, in the semi-truck driving industry, and so I have a basic understanding of how this works, but boy, I, I'm curious, is this safe? How, how would that work? If that was what we were talking about, we probably wouldn't get very far. That I've had adaptive cruise technology for a generation, I'll call it now, um, with various models and, and all. And, and man, those first models were, they, they didn't bring you to a stop and then restart um, the vehicle. The the newer models will do that, but it's still not perfect. I mean, you still have to have that human kind of interaction. And, and like some of my members have at their safety meetings, the, the captain of the ship mentality that, you can help. You can have technology help you do some things, but you still have to be in control of it. And so, the connectivity that we're talking about with the two vehicles is is much more than just the equipment on the following trailer. Um, there's that portion absolutely. The cameras that are available there. It's not the cameras or the adaptive stuff that you're seeing on vehicles today. This this technology. My understanding of it is. It, it sees through buildings. It sees through. So part of the development of this technology for platooning is the hope that this technology will become more widespread beyond just platooning, but also for, you know, you see all the accidents that happen in fog and things like that, that these kinds of cameras and radars and sensors and things like that that are being developed for the platooning will be on a wider spread population. And you won't see those accidents where people are plowing through vehicles that are stopped in fog or accidents down the road. We've, I, like you said, I have been on it on a test track, and it was an impressive ride. The ride last year that I had versus the ride three years ago I had, night and day difference. And it's that's three short years, but in development of a of a technology, that's light years. <laughs> and so the, the connectivity, the front driver hitting the brakes, the brakes in the back, Boom, instantaneous steering changes. Boom, they go. It's it's amazing to see this technology being used. So that's the that's the concept. The the companies are are committed to implementing this in as safe a manner as possible. I mean, everybody's goal is to have everybody that is working 
return to their home at the end of their shift, at the end of their day, at the end of whatever, it's, that's everybody's goal. You're, you're out working to provide a living for your family and, and, um, your livelihood. So yeah, the, the goal on this is to create something that, uh, that's an opportunity for drivers to maybe make a little more money, um, while they're sleeping, because they're still getting miles while they're sleeping in that back truck. We're starting to run quickly out of time here, so let's close by asking very simply this question. What was some of the opposition in the committee that was uh, testifying for and against this? Basically, we had two groups that, that testified against this. One of the groups represented drivers in various kind of entities, and it's um, fear of... Uh, job replacement and things like that. The second group were trial attorneys and the the basics of their opposition was who would they be able to sue when an accident happened. So I think in talking with some of the committee, the the trial attorney defense, they never have seemed to have a problem figuring out who to sue anywhere else than any other thing. So I'm not exactly sure the angle that they were coming at from from that. On the driver's side the, the folks representing the drivers, uh, it, I, I understand their opposition. I understand looking into the future of technology and you see all of the different autonomous technologies being developed. And this is a step in that direction. I, I, I get that. What I would say is we operate in a shortage kind of situation today as it relates to drivers. And I, I can't imagine a future that there aren't drivers in some form or capacity during the rest of my lifespan. So we still encourage folks to get CDLs and the, the companies that are wanting to implement this technology have drivers, you know, excited to, to, to get a, a chance to be at the forefront of, of bringing this technology and put a little more money in their pocket because, the, again, the ability to make a little money while your wheels are turning while you're sleeping. So that's uh, it takes a little bit to get used to, and it's, and it's going to it's going to be a learning curve, absolutely. But uh, we're excited about what the future holds and, and the opportunities that, that are there. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.